0: Nation. he's going for the corner he's got texas back, oh, God, no, right, We're
1: back welcome back to the fire steve sarkeesian podcast your overreactionary texas longhorns football fan podcast apparently using just an inflammatory name to try and attract listeners I am your bitter and washed up unemployed frat star Gen Z edgelord host Josh and I am joined today by my co host Noah. Uh, a lot to talk about for today's podcast. Texas really acquitted themselves quite well against the number one team in the country. Do
0: we want to talk about the intro Josh? Or is that not one of the things we're going to talk about?
1: Well, I mean, I when I get feedback, when, I, when we ask for feedback, I don't care about your negative feedback. I want you to tell me how great I am. So Inaccurate feedback will not make it on here. Feedback that makes me laugh—that's negative feedback. Will make me will make it on here probably every single time. So I had to make
0: sure that I threw in some of the feedback we got,
1: or really more specifically, I got.
0: I, I thought I, I just thought the uh, you know the people deserved an explanation there, but Alabama—it was a great game, great atmosphere. I was not there. I know that yourself and some other folks had the uh, Longhorn Nation tailgate going on, but. You know, look right on the TV. I was at home watching the game by myself, which is exactly how I wanted to do that uh, game. If like, if I'm not there, I just need to be alone. You know, I don't need other people's thoughts on what's happening. I just want to like watch the game and be stressed by myself. You want to exist in your own little glass case of
1: emotion there. Exactly. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Well, before we get too carried away talking about it all, I do want to make sure we take some time to compare... Some of the takes I collected pre-game. I, I told you guys last week that I was going to do something a little different. Ended up not getting quite enough content to make it into a full episode. Uh, but because we didn't get anyone on the hot take line, took matters into my own hands. Went and recorded some pre-game and some post-game takes from some of the fine folks at that R Longhorn Nation tailgate. So let, let's let's hear what they had to say.
0: My name is Colton. Uh, I think today we're going to go into halftime Texas and Bama, probably close to tied, um, but then at a uh, second half, Bama's just got the depth, they're just going to kind of take off with the lead, and it'll probably end 52, 28, something like that probably, in the end. Uh, my name is Cody.
1: Pre-game expectations is Texas by 77. I think realistically... I don't want to set myself up for disappointment, so realistically, I'm going about Bama by about two scores, 14-17 points. The optimist in me, which there's some, not a
0: lot, thinks that Texas pulls pulls us out by one score, whether it's by a field goal, touchdown, whatever it is. But shit, man, it's college football. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's going to be hilarious when Texas wins but loses to Iowa State. And I think we're going to win it by a field goal, 41-38. Bert Auburn kicks it through the uprights. Any given any given Saturday, it's college football, but I think Texas comes out on top.
1: Bama goes home crying. Bama scores whenever they want to, but time of possession is important to them, so maybe they don't throttle it too bad. Bama thirty-five. We don't see Hudson Card, and Quinn throws two and one, two hundred and twenty yards. That's what I'm thinking. I think that. Uh I think Quinn Ewers is going to have three touchdowns for for Texas. For yeah, yes, Quinn Ewers is going to have
0: three touchdowns, one interception. Bijan is going to have a 150 yards all-purpose. Um, yeah, he'll he'll probably have. I'm, I'm going to give him two touchdowns.
1: 35. Yeah,
0: yeah, so. Yeah, thir- 35, 35, Texas. I, I'm, I'm going to, well, shoot. Yeah. Um,
1: Xavier's going to have a better game than he did last week. Uh, but at the end, I think it's going to be Alabama, 50, Texas,
0: 42. Well, I got no hope here. Alabama can't hurt me. This is this is a game that I, I don't think I've ever experienced before. I just come in and I'm like, fuck it, you're here, here, shit wrecked. So I'm going to say, like, 42, like 24, Alabama, maybe, well, no, because that means we're, that means that's we cover, that means we cover, no, 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 I can't, I can't do that, can't do that, if I'm saying we're going to go a shit rock, well, I man, it's still kind of getting you shit rocked, isn't it, but like, could be a backdoor cover, you know, oh, you actually, know, I'm feeling like it's going to be close, well, okay, I don't want to say this, because it's going to, we're going to get, as soon as I say this, it's going to be, that's the, the magic of it, right, 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 it's like, we're going to be close to the very beginning, and then like, they're just going to pull away at the end, but I don't know. It's Bama. It's fucking Saban. Saban isn't normal. Uh, So I'm going like, yeah, 42, maybe 24-17. Depends. I think Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, they're a little small. I think Kelvin Banks bullies them all day. I think Alabama might score late to make it within 20. Hook them. I think Texas will at least cover, mainly because the line opened at lower and everyone thinks they're going to get our asses kicked, so it's moved up. So I'm going to put us to at least cover. Post-game thoughts. I mean,
1: you can't be mad, but at the same time, you can kind of be mad because you know what was going to happen if you were stating that they just didn't make mistakes that Loki key combated to the end. But hey, for what I came in for, I'll take it, surprisingly.
0: Super impressed with the offensive and defensive lines. Um, defense as a whole played lights out. I could see us winning games just because of the defense, which I could not say last year. Um, and you know what? Quinn Ewer's going to come back better than ever.
1: Hook him. All right, we got four words. Will Anderson, jury nullification. That's it. <laughs> uh, incredibly proud of our boys. Uh, Texas winning the Big 12. We're going to win the Big 12. We're going to the college football playoff there. We're going to beat the first team we see there as long as Quinn gets better. As long as he gets better, we're going to the championship. There you go. There's There's the community's opinion about how things looked before, how things looked after. Hot take line is uh 512-677-4578 i'd love to have more of the community's takes featured on this show getting to do it in person was fun but i I like to have something for for every episode so definitely make sure that next week you're calling in let me know your thoughts about how that utsa game is going pre-game and post-game would be fine or just post-game but yeah alabama obviously got to be the focus of today's episode uh we almost did it almost 20-19 20-19 to 19 final score. Uh, kind of rough in some phases. Kind of impressive in some phases.
0: There's a lot of different things you can look at as like the moment, right? Like the difference maker. Uh, there was a missed sack. There was a missed safety. <laughs> uh, there was obviously Quinn's injury and Hudson's injury and Bichon's injury and Deshaun Jameson's injury, which, you know, was following a drop interception. So a lot of different things with a couple other flags. So, it was really close it exceeded my expectations i came away feeling very positive and you know record wise it's an l there's no way around that but we all expected to be 1-1 coming into the season right like after two games we thought we would be 1-1 we are 1-1 but i think that the team has played at a much higher level than we could have reasonably hoped for
1: yeah i mean as many texas fans as got upset about people talking about you know the the 20 point the three touchdown spread that vegas was putting up there honestly based on what you saw from these teams last season really didn't seem that unfair i mean obviously there's a pretty well documented history going back to last season for alabama of really struggling on the road and uh i mean there, there's definitely some some validity to that but We also saw this Texas team completely crumple in big games. We saw how they looked against Arkansas. We saw how they looked in the second half against Oklahoma. There was a lot of reason to question sort of the mental fortitude of this Texas team. And I mean, to to go through the Quinn injury, to watch Hudson Card get hurt, to watch Bijan get a stinger, to watch Deshaun Jameson, all guys who are without question a leader on the team in one way or another and still continue to come back out there, continue fighting, even though the offense couldn't get things going for long stretches under Hudson Card, the defense still kept fighting, still looked impressive. The offense still found ways to move the ball when necessary. I mean, that at the very least seems to show a a change in the mentality of this team, because last season, this this whole thing would have snowballed as soon as Quinn went out.
0: I did a little bit of Googling ahead of time, and this is something that Sark has talked all offseason about, is adversity, right? So in March, he said, and I quote, we find the mental fortitude to fight through, the per- perseverance to fight through, and whether the storm and stay strong and continue to build. I think that was an area last year we weren't very good. When things late in games kind of didn't go our way, we had a tendency to not respond great, and that falls upon me as a coach, that falls upon our kind of approach, and how we do things throughout the offseason strength to strengthen ourselves. And then at the start of fall camp, he said, where I need to be better is making sure our players and our staff respond better to the adversity when it presents itself in games. Then you go one week ahead of our season opener against ULM quote, the reality of it is we, how we respond to the adversity, the tough times, the unfortunate luck that's going to ultimately make up what this team is about. And then yesterday he brought it up again, talking about uh, how better never rests. And so even whatever your takeaway from the Alabama game was good or bad, you know, if you're just looking at it as an L or if you're looking at the team in a whole new light with a new perception, Better never rest. He knows they need to improve. The team knows it. And so it's really time to follow through on that because that's what ultimately is going to be the deciding factor between another collapse and letting Bama beat you multiple times and potentially like a big 12 championship, right? Because that's the new ceiling for me on this team is, is that level of performance.
1: Yeah. Because at least at this point, obviously still a small sample size. Uh, We've seen a lot of good things from the offense. Uh, The first quarter we saw, Obviously, Quinn Ewers absolutely lighting it up, just putting everything right on the money. Uh, You get down to it. I think you had before Quinn went out, he had three incompletions, one of which was a drop by Worthy that should have been a touchdown. One was a touchdown that should have been called pass interference um, against Alabama. And the last one was the one where he threw it out the back of the end zone and ultimately got himself hurt. But beyond that, I mean, he was throwing dots everything was right where it needed to be nothing was a dangerous throw uh which is obviously made a lot easier when a guy like xavier worthy is wide open every single play
0: yep he he was so good so that's one thing that raises the ceiling on this team is just how good he looked and then the other thing is the other side of the ball the defense was outstanding i think that you know i we or yeah we talked in our preview episode about uh you know the defense. There, there are steps you take. You go from below average to average, and then from average to good, and from good to elite. And the defense took multiple steps this past Saturday. Can they sustain that? I don't know. But you know, not only were they doing some of those things to get to average, like just having basic assignment and putting forth effort, you know, but they had lots of good players across the board. I mean, I, I don't think you could say a single player had a bad game. There were bad reps, there were bad snaps, sure. I don't know of a single guy that played a bad game, uh, and then some of the guys looked like outstanding. Like the defensive line was incredible, you know. So there were elements of that eliteness showing through. Again, I don't know if that's sustainable. I think, you know, part of what we saw was the fact that there had been months of work putting into the game plan against Alabama, um, and this is also a new defense. Basically, they're doing a lot of new stuff, and last year we never had a clear identity. So. As we continue to play throughout the season, other coaches are going to be getting more film. They're going to get to learn our tendencies. I don't expect that Ryan Watts blitz to work a ton anymore. Like even against Bama, you know, it worked. I think they ran it once earlier in the game and like he got a pressure, maybe not with Watts himself, uh, but then obviously it worked on the missed tackle. And then they ran again, the same drive. And by that point, Alabama had adjusted. And that's how a lot of this stuff works is you can show a look a couple times to catch people off guard, uh, but then people adjust. So, I don't think that we're going to hold every other team, even if their offense is worse than Alabama's. I don't think we're going to hold them under twenty points. Um, but the expectations are definitely shifted after this game, and I think that's fair, right? I don't. Th- I don't think the team is going to shy away from that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we talked in that preview episode as well about the expectation and and to to hit the ceiling for this team is we just needed this team to go from being bad on defense. To even just being average. And the one. Really I guess two trends that I've really noticed. With this defense. Have come in the form of. The tackling. And the secondary really. Because those things to a certain degree that. Y- your mental mistakes in the secondary. Your tackling. Should be relatively irrelevant. For, for what opponent you're you're facing. ULM obviously a very bottom of the barrel team. Alabama very top level team. We have not seen a plethora of missed tackles. That's part of what makes that Ryan Watts whiff on that sack so much worse is that's an outlier. We were not out there regularly missing tackles. We weren't missing tackles against ULM either. In the secondary, we were not blowing coverages. Yes, there were times when Bryce Young was picking us apart in the fourth quarter, but it wasn't because of blown coverages. It's just there's always holes in a zone defense, and Bryce Young is the type of guy who is smart enough and patient enough to find those things. There's a reason... He won the Heisman and he he put that on display in the fourth quarter, but we haven't had any of those baffling ones where there's a guy wide open running down the sideline and there's no one within 15 yards of him. That's happened in the past, even against bad teams and good teams. We've seen Texas's defense struggle with those mental mistakes. And to this point, obviously, again, small sample size. We haven't seen that at all.
0: And to that point, you know, not our, only is the tackling better, we're tackling the right team. <laughs> <laughs> to go along with coverage busts. Um, but I really do think you're right. The tackling has been better on a fundamental individual level, but something that I've noticed increased conversation about this off season is tackling a lot of times is a team effort. You know, if, if you miss the, if the first guy misses a tackle, whether there's another guy right there and they only get an extra two yards on, you know, third and 12, that's not a big deal. Some, sometimes it's okay to miss a tackle, uh, And the team has just been playing with a lot of effort. I think that, you know, talking about the lack of coverage bus, I think that just the secondary is a lot more assignment sound. I mean, the linebackers, too, in the defensive line. But but the secondary, they're coming down quicker. They're playing more aggressively. You know, they trust that if they execute their assignment coming down, that the other guys have their back behind them. So I think that all this is really tied together. So it, it was just really good. A lot of positives to take away, even though there are, of course, things to work on, like the run game and red zone execution. Those are things that will have to be improved upon. I think that Alabama probably had the best run defense that we're going to play all year. And whenever you have that many athletes on a defense, red zone execution is always going to be tough. Um, But So there are definite things that we can take away and continue to work on.
1: Yeah, and I mean, just to give you a sense of, of how successful this defense was, I mean, obviously you had the one really big run play given up to jace mcclellan 81 yards but you remove those 81 yards in that one play so you had alabama run 62 other plays that amounted to about 290 yards so you're talking about holding that alabama team to less than five yards per play which is insane i don't i don't care bill o'brien's play calling i don't care that alabama's receivers aren't as lethal as they have been over like the past four or five years i i and that the, the offensive line isn't what it's supposed to be typically for Alabama. It is still Alabama. There is still studs all over that field on that offense. To hold a team like that to less than five yards of play, especially as a team with the, the expectations nationally being so low on Texas, it blows your mind how good this team was for, you know, 95% of the game really outside of that Jace McClellan run.
0: Yeah. You said you said ninety five percent. I thought you were about to say like except for the end of the game. But even the end of the game, the defense was still good. You know, we made them work in the last three drives. They had a touchdown, and then I think the expectation on their next drive is they're probably going to score again. But they didn't. We got the fourth down stop, which I think is so impressive. Whenever a defense like the offense has clearly made an adjustment and they figured something out, they've gotten something going, and the defense can come back and respond to that. I think is like a really high level thing to be able to do. Um, so yeah, it, it was really good effort across the board from start to finish the guys were prepared. Any last thoughts there?
1: No, I, I mean, it, it's just the the main thing I was thinking, like you said, was they scored that touchdown. You thought for sure. Okay. It's this is where it breaks wide open. Alabama scores again on this next drive. And they didn't do that. It's, again, that mentality, the adversity thing is they get hit in the mouth and this Texas team does not immediately crumple. They, at least against Alabama, and I mean, only so much game planning can get you in mentally into that headspace to where you're going to show that type of mental toughness. Like, you can scheme all you want. If your guys aren't mentally tough, it's not going to stand up. And we were able to pair the scheme, the game plan, and the mental toughness and all this to be effective consistently across multiple quarters, hang with at worst on a bad year, a top three team in the country and seemed like the better team for the vast majority of that game.
0: Right. I think the single most impressive or encouraging thing about the game to me is exactly what you're talking about. Sark and his staff did a phenomenal job. Schematically, it wasn't close. Sark and the Kwiatkowski Patterson duo completely lapped their counterparts from Tuscaloosa. Um, But then there's all the other elements of preparation. They talk about mental and emotional maturity, which we've already talked about a bunch here, uh, but discipline, confidence, effort. It's one thing to beat Bill O'Brien and Pete Golding on a chalkboard. Neither of those guys are particularly well-liked by Alabama fans, but it's another thing to beat Nick Saban in all those other areas. He is the GOAT because of how good he is at that. Uh, But Sark was up to the challenge. The rest of his staff was up to the challenge. You know, we were... Clearly, the more disciplined team on Saturday. Uh, they played confidently, which allowed them to play together and with speed. There was a ton of effort and energy, and then they responded when things got tough. Um, so, it was incredibly impressive and kind of builds on a trend where I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But since the end of last year, Sark, get ahead of yourself S- now. I
1: throw a hot take
0: at me. I, I feel it coming. <laughs> well, just since the end of last year. Sark has really done an incredible job and, you know, there's a lot of things that you can point to last year that were very obviously wrong. You know, a a well-coached Texas team doesn't lose six games in a row. Um, But then you look at the way they close out the recruiting class, which they did have a lot of help with. Right. Um, They got lucky sometimes better be lucky than than good. Uh, But the way they close out the recruiting class, all the transfers they brought in in the spring, um, The development that we're just now seeing now, uh, but the development that took place in the spring, summer and fall, both in terms of technique and coaching and also like strength and conditioning. It's all night and day. Um, So we're seeing the results now of what I think has been just a really, really impressive coaching performance um, that has been taking place over the last nine months. Uh, and, And, you know, it's not just coaching. Um, it's also the players putting in the effort, changing culture. Um, and I'm saying this now in September, you know, the important part is that I'm saying these same things in December <laughs> when it really matters. Um, but if the team has been able to make this much progress in the next, in the last nine months, I don't see any reason why we should expect that to change in the next two months. Oh, I'm I'm trying my best. There's a, uh... all right. That's as far as I'm going to go with it, Josh. I had a hot take. I was about to do it. Two, re- do it. Two or Spin three little out. words. Just, just throw two it three out three there. Two or three little words. I'm not going to do, do it. it. I can't. I'm not going to do Aww. it, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, but, yeah. It, it, it's. I think good things are coming.
1: Yeah. I mean, as far as the consistency is concerned, you talk about, yeah, it's, it's a lot easier to talk about this in September, about all the hard work that's been put in, what a great job they've done, you know, building the culture, building that team toughness, building the chemistry, building all those things that they've been working on since the end of last season. And I, I mean, at this point, I think Texas fans for good reason would still be a little bit gun shy enough. Honestly, I, I'm in that group. I'll be happy to still be talking about the mental toughness this time next week. Because I mean, UTSA is a good team, sort of top end G5, certainly a threat, not a not a walk in the park, even with a full strength team. Definitely definitely an opponent that we have had circled on a calendar in some form or fashion for a little while just because it is something where you can see a UTSA has spent all offseason preparing for us the way we prepared for Alabama. but I, I want to see that consistency game to game. I I will be it, it's one game at a time go uh, to borrow Tom Herman, go one and no. I want to see them go one and no continue doing these things that we've seen them do what we hope is the start of a trend. To this point, you've seen good things from this defense against ULM. You've seen good things, great things, even against Alabama. Don't have the UTSA game be a letdown. Don't allow that to be a letdown game after uh, a, a big letdown against Alabama. You had this big game that you've been building up to. Don't let Bama beat you twice in the wake of all that. Play the sound fundamental football that we've done to this point. Continue doing that this week. Then do it against texas tech then do it against west virginia then do it don't worry about how this looks in december worry about how it looks on saturday that's coming up that's just do it each week and i'll be happier and happier every week to talk about it
0: and you don't get to december without doing it next week right you don't get to talk about mental toughness in december if we don't get to talk about it next week so so you're right it's a it's a constant process you know it's a day in day out week in, week out thing that you have to continually work at um so it remains to be seen, but I am certainly a believer at this point in time. I'm not changing my record prediction. I'm actually going to stay at 8 and 4 uh because you can be mentally st- tough and still lose games, right? You you can have all these good things going on and still drop a game here and there. Um but I, you know, I think we're on the right track.
1: Yeah, and I mean, for me personally, really the only reason I'm not coming off of that 8 and 4 prediction is less because I wasn't thoroughly impressed by the differences I saw in this team, especially in the first quarter when we had a full-health offense and a full-health defense. But it it entirely comes down to those injuries. I don't know how long Quinn is going to be out. I don't know how effective Hudson Card is. I don't know how bad that, whatever it is, high ankle sprain or whatever exactly happened to his leg. I don't know how bad that's going to affect him. I don't know how much that affects our game plans In games going forward, you have uh, a UTSA, someone who's going to treat that like, or treat this game like, like we treated Alabama. Texas Tech, we know how much Texas Tech fixates on the Texas game. We see it every year. Typically, we dominate them, but there's always that chance, especially with a potentially gimpy Hudson card in two weeks, potentially with Quinn Ewers just coming back, potentially with Charles Wright. We have no idea what we're going to see out of this team, who our starting quarterback is going to be until Ewers gets healthy again. So that's the part that gives me pause. Otherwise, I, I dare say if we came out of that game, Quinn Ewers is healthy. We win the game the, the way that I think we would have if Quinn Ewers stays in that game. Yeah, my my expectation goes from 8-4 and four to anything less than 10-2 and two
0: is a huge letdown. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also still want to... Keep in mind that Quinn Ewers looked incredible, but we are going to have some Quinn, some bad Quinn coming up. It's going to show up. He's still a gunslinger, right? I think the same confidence where he's launching it downfield against Alabama is going to get him in some trouble, and I think that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, and that's probably especially true now with him, you know, injured and having to come back from that. But one small thing, and we haven't we haven't discussed it yet. Uh, but you know, there was another team in the state of Texas that didn't. They also lost on uh, this past Saturday. It it was you know really tragic, but there's a legitimate chance this weekend that we start Charles Wright, and he looks good, and A and M loses to Miami, and whoever's playing quarterback for them looks terrible. There's probably like a twenty percent chance that that happens, and it'll be hilarious <laughs> if that does happen. And like our third stringer is better than. I mean, maybe not actually better, but looks better than like any of the guys they have.
1: Yeah, and, and the one the one side thing I'd like to throw in there, you, you were talking about throwing deep against Alabama. Eventually, that's going to bite Quinn. The way I figure is, if teams are scared enough to where they are scheming around, expecting Quinn to throw deep, to where he's throwing into deep double double coverage, that just means underneath those teams are so scared of Quinn Ewers, Bijan Robinson's got a ton of space to run. And if you see the game plan, the the way that Sark sees those, the way he draws those plays up, how we were getting guys consistently wide open with these exotic motion packages, these exotic shifts, these wild formations that aren't necessarily on tape, of which we could basically be endless, considering the the wrinkles we saw come in and developing upon those wrinkles, you might not need Quinn to play Hero Ball. You might be able to be like, hey, this is a situation where I'm, a, I'm worried that my freshman quarterback is going to try and do too much hand the ball to Bijan Robinson and let Bijan go to work. I, it the, the idea not, I, I think to a certain degree, it seems like Quinn really learned his lesson, not trying to do too much against ULM with that really ugly pick at the start. And if that continues to be a trend where he shows, Hey, I learned from this. I, I don't need to force it, especially at that point in the game. If he can rein in that hero ball, even a little bit and, and come back, Even, you know, 75% of the player we had against Alabama, I mean, the expectations stay sky high.
0: Yeah, they should. At this point, they have to stay sky high, right? Like, you saw the potential. You saw why he was the 1,000-rated recruit. Um, There's no reason to lower your expectations, even if we do see some of the bad. And to me, it's much more about windows than it is necessarily, like, deep balls. But, like, that, that deep ball that was completed to Worthy, he wasn't open when Quinn threw it. <laughs> you know, like the the defender had good coverage on him, but Quinn trusted his guy and trusted his arm and knew that he had about a two foot space to fit that ball into, where it's incomplete and if it's underthrown, it's intercepted, and he still threw it right. Uh, so, you know, against ULM, he did have that. I think they I, I think he kind of lost track of the defender there, but I think we'll see him try to put some balls into some some of those two foot windows whether it's deep or in the intermediate game, you know, trying to fit it over a linebacker and under a safety, like some of that's going to happen. Um, I think it's a natural part of his progression. Like I want him to take those chances because without the incoming interceptions, you don't have that deep ball to worthy. But then the one thing that did really impress me with Quinn, and this is like kind of a solidified takeaway. Like I don't see, I don't expect this to be something that fluctuates is that he was a leader on the field and you could tell that he was well-prepared for the game, right? Like, he was, at one point, like, directing Bijan where to line up, and, like, other guys. And he has, like, of course, a young offensive line, but he has, like, veteran guys around him, and he's out there lining them up in proper spots, (laughs) you know, as a, I don't know, freshman, or redshirt freshman, sure, we'll we'll call him the technically correct answer there. But, uh, you know, I don't want to call out orange bloods. I'm going to. I don't usually like to just fire shots at, these 995 sites because, you know, they're, they're working off Intel, but orange bloods was the site that ran with a narrative, not just the Hudson car would be a starter because other sites corroborated that. But even after that report, they still doubled down on saying that Quinn wasn't studying properly. And he didn't know the playbook and he needed to learn how to be a college quarterback and prepare like one. Uh, but like watch the game and told me that Quinn didn't know his position and like, wasn't totally in sync with Sark as a play caller in the midst of, like, you're talking about all those different crazy and creative play designs, like, he knew them all. Um, So that is certainly a big takeaway for me. uh, Some nice Kool-Aid there.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, you you threw out another unit that is very young, outside the quarterback room, Uh, the offensive line. I mean, I think, you know, just sort of (laughs) Kelvin Banks, Will Anderson or Dallas Turner, basically every snap, And I don't think he gave up more than maybe one pressure all game. That is a true freshman. Wasn't even here in the spring. True freshman who showed up in the summer and made it look like Will Anderson was nothing to him. Oh, yeah. Like, absolutely absurd. Yeah. I I don't know if that's pure Kelvin Banks. I don't know how much of that is Kyle Flood. Whatever it is, it's working. I mean, you've you've got Cole Hudson, who was here in the spring. Looks great. You've got Cam... Or, uh... Cam Williams, in in the little bit he played, uh, I think was on special teams. But uh, you've got Christian Jones at right tackle. Did a pretty damn good job handling Dallas Turner. Uh, You had Hayden Connor, who is a sophomore now. He looked reliable. You had a young offensive line go up against, without question, at, at worst, a top five pass rush and only give up sacks when once Hudson Card was already injured and couldn't assist them with with scrambling nearly as much, yeah, like this offensive line is playing, at, especially for this game, well beyond their
0: years. Right, absolutely, now. they yeah. were they were so good, and it's weird because they're doing the exact opposite of what I expected them to do coming into the year. Where like their pass blocking was excellent in general, communication was great. They did a good job picking up blitzes. I think on that last card sack, there was probably a missed assignment. I think think Banks made a mistake on that one. Um, And then Bichon fell, which I think was on Hudson card's footwork. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's injured. I'm not going to hold it against him. That can mess with your feet. Um, So overall, like pretty exceptional, especially their ability to take on -on one-on-ones and their ability to communicate on like twists and stuns, which is something that has plagued us for a really long time. The next area that they need to improve on, I thought, what I thought they were going to be doing well at the beginning of the year is their run blocking. And it, I don't know that it's so much... Like I, I haven't done enough of a rewatch to really get into the nitty-gritty of that, um, but Bill Connolly's advanced stats had the average point of contact at one yard behind the line of scrimmage on run plays. Um, and that's not going to cut it. Uh, but like you said, you know, it is Alabama. I'm willing to give them a pass because Alabama has big, strong defensive tackles right they have the turner anderson combo and then they have linebackers that move very quickly their linebackers are great in pursuit um and they're also athletic so you know not not a huge concern but also something that they need to fix in order for our offense to really operate the way that it should
1: yeah i mean that that front seven is going to be as good or better than every single team we play this year i think the only other ones that start to get into that conversation as you start looking at your um, your Oklahoma's a little bit your Baylor's a little bit your Oklahoma State's but there's no one who has the talent stacked at every single position you've got great players like you've got West Virginia still has what Darius Sills still hanging around you have great players on several teams in this conference you don't have the assembly and the totality of great players in that front seven the way Alabama does so yeah, it, it comes with a bit of that wrinkle where it's like, yes, it's Alabama. Also, based on how we saw Quinn Ewers play, the the game plan for them was obviously dare Quinn Ewers to beat you with his arm. And Quinn Ewers in the first quarter, pretty pretty soundly said, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, not everyone has a secondary that they trust as much as Nick Saban will trust his secondary. Not every team has the front seven to be that aggressive against Bijan Robinson. So, I mean, it's, yeah, disappointing to not see great run blocking, but hard to get a good read on where the ceiling is for this team as far as the run blocking is concerned from the offensive
0: line. Right, and Bijan and Roshan, and possibly even Jonathan Brooks, maybe probably not Keelan Robinson, are the type of guys that will give you a good run game regardless. They'll make the offensive line look better than it is. Uh, So, you know, if they can get that from being, like, one yard behind the line to one yard in front of the line, which would be totally doable for the entire rest of the schedule, like, at minimum, then, yeah, you're going to have a good running attack. Which, by the way, like, I hope that Bijan does not get rushed back from, from injury. That's kind of been a side note where, you know, I know that he's, like, making jokes about it at his press conference, but I hope they let him rest against UTSA if he needs to.
1: Yeah, I mean, as great as Bijan Robinson is, like, there's no doubt that he is the leader of that running back room as far as just the pure talent is concerned. But uh, Stan Drayton didn't exactly leave that that running back room devoid of talent. You've got a guy like Roshon Johnson, who we saw, you know, again, basically put the team on his back against Kansas State to end last season. We know that Keelan Robinson can be a game changer in a lot of different different ways. That that speed can kill a lot of different teams. We know that Jonathan Brooks has flashed in the limited time that he's gotten. We know that Jaden Blue was highly touted as a recruit. There's plenty of reason to believe that this team does not need, does not need Bijan Robinson to play to feel like they have a chance to win. The the running backs we have are more than good enough. Would we much rather have Bijan Robinson? Absolutely. We would obviously rather have Bijan taking, you know, 15 to 20 carries a game and another five to 10 out of the backfield on passing plays. But that's the room that is the one position on this entire team that I feel like is more equipped to handle an injury to the starter than any other on this team.
0: I agree. Do you remember back in, I guess, 2019 when our running back room was, was just like completely devoid of, not, not just talent. Like, devoid of bodies. Like, we moved Roshan because we didn't have a backup running back. I mean, we had, we had Keontae, and then we had Roshan. We had Daniel Young.
1: If you remember the year before, our backup running back to Keontae Ingram was Jordan Whittington. Yeah. A wide receiver.
0: Yeah. It was. Yeah. We, we've come a long ways for sure. So, it's really like an embarrassment of, of riches at that spot. Uh, and... You know, and defensive line is the only other interior line is like the only other spot where I could even see you, uh, like having a similar level of depth. But that was certainly not a sure thing coming into this year, until like I think that I think you make an argument that Coburn, Ojomo, Murphy, and Sweat all played the best games of their careers, and Broughton. Because I mean, well, Broughton doesn't really have another game to point to, <laughs> uh, and then Collins is pretty good. He just you know, didn't quite have as many snaps as like maybe the Colorado bowl game. But yeah, it's cool to see a bunch of these older guys like really kind of living up to some of the expectations that we had for them.
1: You mentioned earlier uh, one of the other things I think also gives a lot of reason for not panicking about Bijan, not feeling the need to rush him back in, is Sark's unconventional formations, unconventional play design, and the, the way he, he schemes to make certain plays w- work off of one another, really get the defense confused. I mean, we saw a lot of new stuff out of Sark, out of, I mean, in terms of formations, in terms of personnel, in term, down to individual players. We saw a lot of new wrinkles against Alabama, ones that were not overly exploited. They were introduced for maybe five plays. So it's out there for the next team to worry about, but not enough to where it's, you know, everything we can do with that now.
0: Yeah, I wasn't here last week, uh, but that was something I noticed in the ULM game is he gave a ton of different looks, right? Like the carriage, the tight end. I mean, I, I think he's wearing a tight end number. <laughs> he's obviously not a tight end, but like having carriage out there as a six offensive lineman, they ran like Rocat against ULM. They, even it like from the standard 11 or 12 personnel, they had a ton of different deployments with that. Um, so he showed a bunch against ULM. But I think that, that was really just to make the defensive staff at Alabama have to prepare for more things. And then he came back. He, he used all of it and he used more stuff, right? There was the diamond formation. Uh, there was Rokat with B. John and Keelan rein, lined up next to him and the go-go uh, personnel. You know, that's a Brennan Marion thing, which I wish they would have like run a triple option with it, but they just handed it off to Bijan. But point is he definitely is, like in my mind, the most creative play caller in college football. His scripts are always just amazing, especially when they need to be. <laughs> like in games like this, Like you need to have a good script, and so he's going to give you one. Certainly still debate on like best offensive mind or best offensive coordinator. But most creative, I think Sark takes it like pretty easily.
1: Yeah, and there have been several... Twitter accounts, several football accounts on YouTube and, and other places uh, for for neutral fans, not even fans of Texas, but just fans of football, fans of college football. Uh, I definitely suggest you check in with some of those because they go absolutely wild. Some of the play design, um, I'm, I'm looking it up right now, trying to see what, what I saw this morning. But yeah, uh, Brooks Austin, just absolutely wild with the... Um, He's breaking down, might have been one of our first few plays, but that one where we had guys stacked up all weird and shifted out of that into that full house diamond pistol formation. And just, how, how do you prepare for that? We've never shown that look. We've never shown the first look we had. We've never shown the full house diamond formation look before. If that's what we're going to do, we're going to introduce those little looks just like that every single time. There's so many things... With the amount of talent, like in the running back room, there's so many things that can come out of this offense that you can show out of different formations. It's nearly impossible to to prepare for. You had Nick Saban, one of the best defensive minds in college football, absolutely bamboozled on a lot of these plays. The way we, we utilize motion and shifts to to get confusion in his defense.
0: Yeah, very first play of the game, you have you know Bijan lined up to the right. Uh, you have Sanders on the right, and you have Worthy on the right. Well, Worthy's going in motion, sprinting to the left. So, you know, defense is accounting for that. Shifting assignments and everything. uh, Looking for that screen. So then you play-action fake to Bijan. Everything's flowing to the left. So, oh, those are the two guys we're keyed on. Like, they're going to the left. Everything's flowing that way. Well, Sanders just leaks out for, like, a little tight end screen to the right. (laughs) Right? So, it's... I think that Sark is starting to feel himself a bit this year in that he is recognizing where the talent is on the team and then really utilizing all of it. Um, you know, last year, when, once Whittington went down, the wide receiver room was uh, very depleted. It's basically just where they didn't have the tight end talent that he has this year, um, or, you know, is very young, <laughs> definitely not, didn't perform like it has this far. So, yeah, he's, he's settled in. I think he understands the team, understands you know the best ways to stress a defense using his personnel. I saw a quote that somebody tweeted out like during the game that Sark calls his offense like a, like a motion-based matchup offense where it's all about getting matchups. And we saw that on that deep throw to Bijan down the sideline. And even on the play where Hudson Carter took a sack at the end of the game, he managed to get jordan whittington a one-on-one with uh dallas turner i think it was yeah it's dallas turner i mean you kill for that right and on the money down when we needed it he got that matchup uh just protection didn't hold up so and you know card was also limping so uh not quite able to maybe take some riskier shots because an interception ends the game but yeah, can't, can't say enough nice things about Sark, but again, it comes down to uh, being able to extend that and then also execute the basics, because the basics are how you win week in and week out.
1: And again, it's it's the consistency. Is we need to see Texas put it together for a full four quarters. Because we saw flashes of this last year. We saw how we started that Oklahoma game. We saw us get out to quick starts against several teams that ultimately got squandered. This one obviously comes with a big asterisk. Losing Quinn and having a hobbled card for basically, you know, two thirds of the game, but if the consistency is there, and it's not like it's not like Sark stopped calling aggressive plays like that. We we saw that several times, even with an injured card. There were, like you said, right at the end of the game, the money down, basically that card ended up taking a sack on. Finding those matchups, he is still constantly pushing for that. There is certainly no no Turtle Tom backbone. Or Turtle Tom tendencies, I should say. Backbone's the wrong word. But no Turtle Tom tendencies out of Sark with the way he was calling those games. Was He was he was being aggressive with getting guys in those matchups. So if we can execute that consistently and not have an injured quarterback, I mean, yeah, it's, like you said, Sark's feeling himself. And I think the offense really feeds off that.
0: Yep, we're not doing QB power to the right every time now. Um uh, we're saving that for
1: Oklahoma. We'll bust that Thanks. one out of the go-go, and we're going to run Roshan Power right out of go-go, and it's going to be There brilliant. we
0: go. There we go. Glad that uh, glad you got us figured out.
1: Yep. So, obviously, great news. A lot of, lot of good things to take away. Maybe not great news, but a lot of good things, a lot of great things to, to build on uh, going forward for Texas. An unexpectedly strong result against Alabama. Like I mentioned before, we do have UTSA coming up. Uh, who I believe is one and one lost in double overtime to Houston. Uh, won a relatively close game, I think a one score game against Army. So th- this UTSA team that's coming up I- is interesting. Obviously, old friend Jeff T- Jeff Trailer down there at the head coach. Still Frank Harris playing quarterback. Uh, you still have weapons at wide receiver. I mean, most years you'd say a, a UT. System school that isn't UT Austin, Uh, it should be a walk in the park. But I mean, this is as tough a G five opponent as Texas has faced in recent memory.
0: We do at least have a good record against those G five opponents, unless I've totally blocked something out of my mind. No, I don't think we've blown a G five. Yeah, I think it's just those uh, those lower tier P five that kind of cursed us. Like we've had
1: close ones with teams that we shouldn't have been close with, but. We have never, we have not lost. Yeah. In recent. Well, let's just,
0: let's just stick with scheduling G5 and Alabama, not you know, <laughs> not Arkansas or I mean Arkansas is good now, but like not Arkansas, Maryland, Cal, Cal, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, UTSA is a good team. I don't expect us to have a whole lot of trouble with them. They do have four injured offensive tackles. Uh, So, you know, they're starting, like, a walk-on at one and a converted guard at the other tackle spot. So, you know, our our weakness is probably still edge play. Um, Much improved, but, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, a clear weakness, and that's probably one that you at least want to test if you're a Texas opponent. Uh, So not super worried about that. Secondary is pretty porous. I, I don't know that anybody's given up a passing yard to Army since, you know, vietnam but they gave up hundreds <laughs>
1: yeah i think they gave up like you you think service academy game and you hear that army put up 35 points and you go man army must have run for like 400 yards i think army had less than 150 yards rushing and like 350 300 something like that yards passing army
0: right and apparently they ac- Army apparently they actually have a quarterback they're gonna throw the ball now so they're doing a little bit more of that um but it's it's you know if your program is i mean look at georgia tech like if your program's transitioning out of the triple option like it you can't be that good as a passing attack um although i say that and like who knows army is usually a pretty good pretty good team but yeah i just i think you know the talent disparity especially along the lines of scrimmage i think is going to be big i think charles wright is i ex- i'm expecting him to start maybe it'll be hudson card but i would probably have Hudson and card in that break glass in case of emergency sort of case um but yeah, I think Wright will be able to do his job. He'll be able to hand it off and he'll be able to operate within Sark's offense. Sark is really good at scheming up those like one, like one or two read type plays. And especially whenever you have a big skill disparity at the receiver position compared, you know, our receivers versus their secondary, that's a winning matchup. You should be able to just get him some pretty simple reads. That said, I know that UTSA is good. So if you don't bring it, then they will capitalize on that.
1: Yeah, and just to put it in perspective, you said Army is passing more than they have in the past. Uh, just to really give that perspective, Army threw the ball eighteen times to get three hundred yards. Oof. And that was that. There were only five. It was they were thirteen of eighteen for three hundred and four yards. Dang. They ran the ball fifty-four times. So they are still very much triple option Army. Yeah and it does not take God-tier play to get a get guys open. You, you figure the, the Army-wide receivers, the Army tight ends, no disrespect to Army, but it, it's not that top-level athleticism that you have out of a Jatavian Sanders, an Xavier Worthy, a Jordan Whittington, even a Casey Kane.
0: Yeah, those are Quinn Ewer's numbers, you know, like uh, in terms of an average per attempt. Like, yeah, that's pretty, pretty good. Um, that is... That is pretty funny though. Fifty-four. And they were under a hundred yard or hundred and fifty yards rushing?
1: Uh, 179. I was a little off okay. there. But still, that, three point three yards per carry. That's
0: such like a respectable performance against a triple option rush attack. <laughs> such a horrible performance against a triple option pass attack.
1: So I I mean, yeah, the, the opportunities will be there. Um I think there have been some rumblings that Hudson Card's gonna play, or at least has been taking first team snaps at least as of today. So I mean, we'll see. I, I, I would prefer we let him get healthy. Uh, if he's hobbling, or if, then I, I don't. I would rather stick with Charles Wright, Chazzle Dazzle, uh, and see what he can do. That's the only part that gives me any pause. I, I have no concerns about the defense. I'm interested to see how the secondary holds up because, I mean, I think there's interestingly an, an argument to be made that this is a very good wide receiver core at UTSA. I'm interested to see how they hold up because ULM hasn't had it. And Alabama is still an incomplete because it's a bunch of guys who really didn't play much last year. Um, Now that Jamison Williams and Jai Hall and Jaleel Billingsley, and those guys are all in Austin or either in the pros or in Austin. It was a whole new crop for Alabama. This is an experienced offense for UTSA. So I'm interested, especially in the passing game. So I'm interested to see, how the secondary holds up, but like you said, the, their offensive line is bleeding guys down several tackles. Um, I mean, this is a chance to be aggressive again. We we controlled Bryce Young and his mobility for most of the game. And as good as Frank Harris is, both throwing and rushing the ball, sorry, he's, you're not Bryce Young. So I, I, I think there's a lot of reason for hope that the defense can stand up
0: to that. It is a pretty interesting test for the secondary because... In the offseason, Sark talked about how this defense is going to be more reliant on the secondary to generate a pass rush than vice versa. And typically, in an ideal world, you're going to want to have pass rushers to shorten the amount of time it's QB has to process, but you can generate pressure the other way uh, by having a good secondary, and that's absolutely what happened last week. So it is a pretty interesting test case. Um, they should benefit from you know the lack of tackles that UTSA has if, if the guys aren't as good as the you know if the third stringers aren't as good as the first teamers then that should help out Sorrell and OV a lot um, and then you know thus help the secondary uh, but I think that generally I'm pretty skeptical of the idea that your coverage should help you generate pressure because that is often a recipe for disaster um, so it will be another good data point to seeing if you know can the defense sustain success in that way
1: yeah, and just to give you sort of the the whole pressure and, and the secondary sort of being complimentary thing, some more legs, obviously TCU under Gary Patterson was known for their secondary play and, and in ways that that can make your pass rush effective. Uh, O'Shawn Mathis, the guy we wanted really bad, had something like you know, 17 and a half sacks or something at TCU. Uh, three games in at Nebraska, where Nebraska was expected to have a pretty good defense. They had a pretty good defense last year. They haven't been bad. That hasn't necessarily been the reason that they've been losing games this year. Uh, O'Shawn Mathis threw three games for Nebraska, has one sack.
0: Yeah, it's possible, it's possible that any meltdowns that happened around the transfer portal last year were a little bit overblown. But I can also, like, that's definitely still results-based analysis, right? And you're doing it two weeks into the season, so we'll have to see. Um, But so far, you know, Sark and Co. have kind of been killing it. I, you know, I guess you could say Drew Sanders was a missed. I think he's balling out at Arkansas, and certainly we could use another linebacker. But overall, it seems like they made a lot of the correct decisions in terms of building the roster for this year.
1: Yep. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening in for another episode. Certainly a much different outlook for the rest of the season after this past Saturday. A few things we still need to see out of Texas, consistency, some rebounding from the injuries, stuff like that. But uh, a lot of reason for optimism, at least maybe not necessarily immediate short term, but in the longer term sense, reason for optimism that Sark might be able to get this program headed in the right direction. We'd like to remind you to follow us on Twitter at, at the FSS podcast for more off pod hot takes. Also, check out the Hornscast discord channel where you can interact with us as well as the hosts of the other shows on this feed on a regular basis. While you're at it, make sure that you are following or subscribed to the Hornscast feed on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Overcast. I think YouTube even has it now, wherever you are. Uh, make sure you get subscribed. You can get all of our future episodes as well as all the future episodes of Pretend We're Football, Fourth and Five, if Will Bazer remembers how to have a life outside of an NBA. Uh, lot, lots of good stuff on, on the Hornscast channel. Finally, throw your, your hot takes out there for us to hear on the hot take line, 512-677-4578. And you could hear yourself on a future podcast episode. Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast will return next week to review the game against UTSA. Until then, hook them.